Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. I'm Nathan Bear. And I'm Michael Kelly. Who? I'm the co-host and, and friend, Godzilla enthusiast, Michael Kelly. Ah, right. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, so, uh, Mike and I are uh, once again here to talk about uh, a Godzilla film, and this time we're going to go for Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster, a.k.a. Ibra, the Horror from the Deep. Yes, or known in its original Japanese title, Godzilla, Mothra... Ibra, Big Battle of the South Seas. Ah, yes. Which is more descriptive, but sort of a mouthful. This movie uh, is a kind of a, the first uh, changing of the guards uh, towards the 70s films, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Ishiro Honda not directing this film. Instead, uh, the directing job going to Mr. Uh, Yoon Fukuda. Yoon Fukuda. Who is uh, known for directing uh, gangster and uh, mafia films, uh, you know, Basically cheap uh, James Bond ripoffs, uh, such as Iron Finger, a.k.a. 100 Shots, 100 Kill. Which, and it's, 100 Shots, 100 Killed, which is like the coolest title ever. Yes, yes. I mean, Iron Finger sounds like a terrible sex toy, but 100 Shots, 100 Kill, that pretty much... That, that like, they should make a movie watch. with that title right now. Yes. In America. With, uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger... Uh, <laughs> Not with, our, with Schwarzenegger's past his prime. Okay, get, ma- st- get Statham. Okay, yeah, man. yeah, definitely Statham. I could say he and Liam Neeson teaming up. Yeah, get doing Paul a Walker and Vin Diesel <laughs> and Statham. It, it needs to be done. Um, and then it's yeah. got a uh, follow-up, Golden Eyes, not to be confused with the James Bond film from the 1990s. Um, and that was made in 1968. Right. So, the, the, yeah, well, Honda couldn't direct this one, not because he had outgrown or given up monster movies quite the opposite while this was being made he was making another uh classic toho monster film called war of the gargantuas which is amazing it mm. is um just a beautiful film uh we'd love to talk about it right now uh, uh, specifically we'll, we'll get to it eventually <laughs> yeah. we'll get to it but uh yeah so honda hadn't you know i don't want to give the impression that he thought he was above monster movies now he was still very much involved he kind of stepped away from godzilla movies for a while mm. and let uh mr uh yun fukuda take over for a couple of films yes as we mentioned uh mr fukuda did gangster films and this film uh, pretty much is a gangster heist film just uh, happens to have godzilla ibra Mothra and a giant condor. Very large, very agitated, borderline suicidal condor. Yes, just just wouldn't be this movie without the condor. Um, I, yeah, I uh, love that condor, <laughs> by the way. Let me tell you something. Condor. Let me tell you something about this condor. This condor could mop the floor with the giant claw. <laughs> There's a similar film uh, with a giant bird called the Giant Claw. That came out in the 50s, and this condor from, from Godzilla vs. Sea Monster could, again, mop the floor mm. with Giant Claw. Giant Claw's got nothing on the giant condor from the Toho Monster universe. Yeah. It's short-lived, you know. But it's beautiful. <laughs> and in color. And in color. <laughs> and in widescreen. So, in widescreen. Take that, Giant Claw. Um, Disney face. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the star of Iron Finger and... 100 shot, 100 killed, was in fact Mr. Akira Takarada, yes? Yes. From, yes. Uh, not only from Monster Zero, but also from Mothra vs. Godzilla and the original Godzilla. Yes. So uh, he, he's been quite active. Yeah. Um, good, good character actor for Toho. Um, 
you know, very recognizable. You know what you're going to get with them. Um, and he's back in this film yes. as a uh, as, m- maybe or maybe not a bank robber. Yeah, he's uh, he's basically Han Solo in this film. Yeah, Han Solo before Han Solo, uh, yeah. which I think is actually good because uh, he, 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 he he's always kind of kind of tough, kind of tough guy. This one, he's more. Han Solo-y, tough, but he knows how to get the job done. Right, it's a know. more interesting character because there's kind of a moral shadiness to him. Because mm-hmm. he's always sort of a either bland or kind of goody two shoes. Like the character that he played in Monster Zero was Fuji. Yeah, very bland character. Yeah. You know, the the best thing about Fuji is that for whatever reason he like hated Tetsuo Tori's guts, yeah. <laughs> which never went into. I mean, Tetsuo Tori. If we could backtrack here for a second, uh, was a, for all intents and purposes uh, going to be a multi-millionaire toy inventor, very impressive, established himself at a young age, and for whatever reason, Fuji just hated this guy, mm-hmm. did not approve of his sister dating him at all, uh, uh, so, which know, is astronauts. amazing. He puts the ass in astronauts. Well, I mean, maybe he thought that she should be dating another astronaut, I don't know, but anyways. Yeah, just but keep other, the lineage going. Exactly. Aside from his bizarre... Uh, uncalled for hatred of Tetsuo Tori. Uh, in that film, that character was bland. He's pretty good in Mothra vs. Godzilla, but again, still sort of, you know... Uh, he goes from being, like, really tough at the beginning and, like, uh, you know, Yoko or Junko, why, why, why aren't you taking pictures? And then, um, you know, then, like, as soon as uh, uh, Kumayama comes in, he suddenly becomes, like, a drunk good guy. Oh, God, how are we going to save Moth? How are we going to save the egg? How are we going to... Yeah. How are we going to do this? So this this guy is This more, guy is, he, a, is he, probably got, my favorite character that he plays in all of these movies. Um, yeah, because yeah. he's got... I mean, because there is a character there. <laughs> um, he's not just bland, you know, main good guy human. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, he's great in it, and um, uh, Kumi Mizunu, also from Monster Zero, is back again. Not as a alien temptress for Nick Adams, but no. as an island girl, uh, Dayo, mm-hmm. uh, who is from Infant Island, we find out later on in the plot. And she's turns in another very strong performance, mm-hmm. and uh, she's I mean, she's great in this. So, yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of the regulars, a lot of Godzilla regulars. In fact, uh, Sirizawa is back. Uh, the actor who played Sirizawa is yes. back in this one, and he's got the eye patch again. Yeah. So he but looks on the like... other eye, I think. I'm pretty sure, isn't it on the other eye? I, you know, I don't know. I swear, I swear it's on the other eye this time. Okay, yeah, I, I, I swear it. Like uh, in Godzilla, I'm pretty sure it's on the right eye, and then in this one, it's on the left. All right, well then yeah. you win the contest yeah. of uh, of extreme. <laughs> and not only that, knowledge. but not only that, but I have a, a sneaking suspicion that his character is. Loosely homaging the, because he's the second in command of the Red Bamboo, evil uh, terrorist yeah, organization evil terrorist bent on taking over yeah. the world, base of operations Devil's Island. So he has an eye patch. Well, if you look at Kurosawa's Seven Samurai, which came out in 1954, same year as Godzilla, the second in command of the Bandits has an eye patch, which is homaged by John Woo in the 90s for Hard Boiled, or sorry, late 80s for Hard Boiled. Hard Boiled was 1992. The yeah, character you're yes. talking about is Mad Dog. Yes, this is with not the eye patch. To, this Mad Dog is not to be uh, confused with the bad guy from <laughs> The Raid. Yes. Mad Dog. <laughs> It's just whenever you've got one of those action movies with an unkillable second in command, 
guy, he should have an eye patch, or he either has an eye patch or should be named Mad Dog. Yes, that, that's just what <laughs> you should take away from that. So, so yes, so yeah, so, he's but, in it, <laughs> um, and yeah, a bunch of other young, hip, bland, forgettable, uh, you know, actors, guys, with yeah. the exception of Rota, who who was a uh, a gangster. He was one of the assassins in Ghidra, mm-hmm. um, and he was in a couple other things. But aside from that, yeah, you know, the, the usual suspects. Yep. Um, it's 1966. Akira Fuku Bay was too busy working on War of the Gargantuas, turning yes. in one of his most iconic scores, and he, I think he'd been holding back because that's got some of his best stuff. Um, but, of course, he was occupied, and so the music... Scoring uh, went to Masura Sato, who, uh, as uh, we mentioned before, did the uh, music for that uh, film uh, Raids Again. <clears throat> Godzilla Raids Again. Yes, yes, yes. Look, uh, this is this <laughs> is a, a huge improvement over his score yes. in Raids Again because this is a a difficult job he was walking into here. You know, you've got this is. The seventh Godzilla film, aside from his own score on Raids Again, which was widely seen as a failure on every technical level, uh, everything else has been Akira Fukube. And, you know, many of those films repeating some of the same pieces of music. And by now, already in 1966, many of these pieces of music have, have begun to become iconic in their own right. Yes. So, you know, on and what do I mean by iconic? I mean on... The movie posters, they have the bars of music and the notes mm. of the score, okay? So it's like, they're selling, it's like, this is the music, kids. <laughs> you could, like, look at the poster and, like, play, if you play a musical instrument, you could play, you know. On your recorder. On your recorder, <laughs> or whatever. So it's like this, you know, this is how much of a part of, of the music, these these films... The music was becoming entwined with these films at an increasingly, you know... Uh, staggering rate. So, Just like Star Wars music. Yeah, exactly. Because the directors weren't afraid to have music fill in the gaps and, and, and uh, enhance the story. Yes. Um, they didn't care at all. They were just like... Because they knew Fukube was a genius. So what I'm saying is uh, Sato had his work cut out for him and I think he excels in this movie. Yes. I think this, this music is great because he completely ignores everything that's gone before, including his own score. Yeah. Uh, for raids again, mm-hmm. and he just he taps into the uh, the feeling of the movie, which is fun. This yes. is a fun movie. It's not serious. Yes, it stands um. on its own, and it's not afraid to kind of cut its own way, and and mm-hmm. and and it really succeeds. And it's good music, and it fits what's going on well, and it does accentuate the action. Um, now, depending on what version you are watching, mm-hmm. there could be less of it. You have the original Japanese version, which was yes. not available in the United States until 2004 or something, something like that. Something when TriStar re-released all yeah. of the classics um, in their full Japanese. Which is four minutes longer than the version I always grew up with. Most of that comes from uh, stuff that's cut out of the beginning, but one of the other things that is excised is, is the, the piece of uh, rock and roll music yes. uh, that goes over the final fight, the final confrontation between Godzilla and Ibra. And I really have to say, uh, it was, it, it's much more effective without that music in mm-hmm. there. Um, you know, maybe going back against everything I just said, but there's so much music in yes. this movie that it really, dropping it out there really helps out a lot. 
But the, the interesting thing about this film in particular and its immediate successor, Son of Godzilla, is that this was the first film that did not receive a theatrical release right. for a Godzilla film in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, it was re-edited, it was dubbed, obviously, and then it was released straight to television sometime, I believe, in the late 60s or early 70s. Mm-hmm. And so this is the version that was on TV and was on early VHS uh, releases. This is the version that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And the dubbing is great on it. The performances are, you know, they sound like humans. Yes. They don't sound like cartoon characters. The things they say aren't uh, insultingly stupid. Yeah. It's, it's just better production value and there's some, you know, cooler things going on. Um, and then, okay, so that version, the, the TV cut, as it were, um... It, you can't find it anymore. It basically doesn't exist. Unless you have it on VHS. Unless you have it on VHS, as I do. So I'm holding on to that in the same cardboard box with the original Star Wars films. It's like, this, this, these are things that don't really exist anymore other than right here. So, like, you know, keep them safe. Keep them out of, uh, you know, water and, you know. And out of George Lucas's hands. Keep, keep this film out of George Lucas's hands. George Lucas, by the way, big fan of Godzilla. Yes. He wanted to do the Rancor in Return of the Jedi in the same Godzilla style. Yes. And Phil Tippett was like, you've lost your mind. This, it doesn't look good. But he's like, no, I'm George Lucas. Yeah. That's a story for another day. Uh, um, I love Jedi. But that's a story for another day. Originally, this was supposed to be King Kong. Mm. The script was King Kong, Ibra, and Mothra. But they couldn't get the rights to, to Kong, so it was hastily rewritten to be a Godzilla sequel. Mm-hmm. And you can really tell this is uh, Godzilla has kind of bizarre character traits in this one. Um, he's woken up by lightning, yes. which you know Kong was supposed to be kind of previously associated with gaining strength from mm-hmm. electricity and later becomes his strength as we see in films like uh godzilla versus mechagodzilla right right um, somehow now lightning makes him yeah happy. exactly <laughs> it's all it's just flip a coin but like it's it's pretty hilarious actually when you watch it and you know what's going on <laughs> We start off this film uh, after the Toho logo and uh, various uh, credits uh, with a medium, right. uh, you know, just in full medium attire, you know, beads around her neck and everything. At a temple. Yes, at a temple. Uh, which With they? some beads. Yes, beads. Beads. Doing prayers. Yes. Uh, and looking for our main character's brother. And who is our main character, Mike? Uh, well, that would be Rota. He's the character who guides us into the narrative, although he sort of drops out in importance later on. But the medium is looking for Rota's brother, Yata, in the land of the dead. Mm-hmm. And the medium cannot find Yata. So uh, Rota becomes in- encouraged by this and... Uh, 
hard cut to a dance-a-thon. Yes. <laughs> As so, you do. Well, I mean, briefly, he goes to a police station and explains Oh, right. That, the uh, Japanese version. Yes, yeah, yes, it, yes, it actually the, makes the sense. real version. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he... Um, he briefly goes to a police station uh, as a cute way of segueing us into uh, some plot. Right. Um, and we find out the reason he was at talking to the medium was because of the fact that his brother was uh, missing in a booked accident. Right. So, in the sea. And the medium can't find his soul in the dead, which means he's still alive. So, naturally, he, in his jolly old fashion, waltzes up to the first cop he sees and uh, says, hey, can I borrow a boat? And they're like, fuck yeah. no. Well, yeah, he, wa- <laughs> he wants to file a missing persons report for, like, the entire ocean. Yeah. <laughs> like, All right? Like, I don't, I'm not sure what it is exactly he wants them to do. He's like, well... My brother's dead. A medium told me that he's not in the land. Or like, sorry, my brother's uh, missing. But a medium told me he's not in the land of the dead. So we need to do a full search of uh, the ocean. Yes. And the cop is like, "All right, let me talk to my uh, my superior." <laughs> and uh, then the cop goes back in and talks to his chief, and he's like. And the chief's like, "You get rid of him. You know, you're the one who like uh, came back here and like even." You know, <laughs> bothered me. Bo- bothered me with I've this. Got, this I've guy's got, out clearly got, crazy. You know, drug rings, yakuza. Right. There's much more important uh, gambling. Stuff. Like, you know? why? Why are you even bothering to like encourage this guy? Get him out of here. <laughs> so then the guy, you know, about faces goes back out and uh, Rota is gone. He's left even before the cop can tell him to scram. And you can see that he's torn a poster off of the wall, and it's a poster for their dance competition where the grand prize is a yacht. Yep. Um, yata. Yata. A yacht for yata. So, anyways, he uh, heads to this uh, dance-a-thon where he meets up with two sort of young, uh, t- t- late teens, uh, I guess teenagers, who are in the dance contest as well. Mm-hmm. Or they are in the dance contest, and he wants to get in the dance contest. Unfortunately, unfortunately it's the third day. <laughs> so I'm not sure if they take breaks at the end of the day or what, or if it's just they've no, been going you've got 72. No, go until you go. Yeah. <laughs> Young Go-Go is the pe- actually the name of the piece of music. Ah. Um, but I don't know if they've been dancing for 72 hours straight. Whatever. It seems like they would die of exhaustion. Maybe they're wearing diapers. They could be wearing adult diapers to facilitate their moves. Anyways, they both get kicked out of the contest. They both sort of collapse at the same time. They've been dancing for three days straight. The dangers of shaking your hips too much. Yes. And Rota's like, I I need, you know, I need to enter the contest and uh, win a boat to find my brother. And uh, they're like, it's you know, you're too late, buddy. It's, it's you know, the con. This is the contest. And he's like, okay, well, I need a boat tonight yeah. or whatever. And so you get the first sort of awkward transition to. There's another scene now. These two guys are taking Rota down to the docks or whatever. I think there's one throwaway line where he's like, well, he said he wanted to see a boat. Boats, you know, yeah. it's the least we could do. Yeah, you want to see a boat? Maybe. Okay, we take you to see a boat. <laughs> yeah, we've both been dancing for three days straight. Yeah. Let's take this person we don't even know, yeah, a country could, bumpkin. <laughs> yeah, to uh, you know, down to look at the boats or whatever. So yeah, that makes sense. So they go on to a very nice looking yacht and. Um, we get our first – they turn on the lights and they're yes. sort of looking around. This is breaking and entering at yes. this point. So <laughs> I guess these guys are also small-time criminals. 
And uh, that's when, wouldn't you know it, someone turns on the lights and it's Akira Takarada. With a gun. With a gun, which we later find out maybe a toy gun. We're not sure. And uh, they look very surprised and uh, sort of, uh, you know, shocked and a little bit scared of him. And then Akira Takarada's like, well, you know, no funny business. I'll let you stay on the boat tonight, but then you'll have to leave tomorrow morning. And they're like, oh, okay, good night, sir. This makes no sense of any kind. First of all, they're not at sea. Yes. Okay, they're still tied up at the dock. So Mm -hmm. he should have just been like, get out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you know, like, just go back on the dock. In his defense, uh, as we find out later, he may or may not have stolen this boat. Or planned to steal this boat. Right. He definitely had a wad of cash. And if he had just let them go... Right. You know... Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that's the, the sort of the undercurrent of the scene. Like, there's sort of this wacky music that's like, do, 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 you know, and they're like, oh, okay, we'll stay on the boat overnight. But if you drop the music out of this scene, uh, it basically makes it look like, oh, these guys have stumbled upon me. They can ID me now. I'm going to have to keep them here until morning when I can uh, execute them. <laughs> And uh, throw their bodies overboard and make a break for it, <laughs> you know. But because you have the wacky music, you know, that eh, this bank robber guy, maybe he's not too bad or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, maybe he won't murder them. Yeah. But, you again, you just take away that music and it's a very sinister, almost like hostage situation yeah. there that, again, doesn't really make any sense and like i've said before there are moments you know on the boat with the four of them where i expect him to say you know this yacht made the kessel run in under 12 parsecs yes <laughs> he has a very han solo-esque charm to him um anyways they get up the next morning and rota has basically taken everyone in the boat hostage <laughs> by they, they are now in the middle of the ocean yeah. he, he has untied the boat and they are sailing and who knows how far away you know they can't even see land anymore so and like none of them are professional no, no none of them so so now you know the t- tables are turned and basically rota who really knows his way around a sailboat is kind of calling the shots now and mm-hmm. even you know uh, Akira Takarada is like, turn the boat around. He's like, no, this boat is a gift from the gods. I cannot, you know, give back a gift to the gods. So it's like, all right, we're sort of time to make the best of a bad situation here. This guy's <laughs> insane. Uh, he's looking for his brother. I guess we have to search the entire ocean. Yes. And this, by the way, this takes like months because yes. <laughs> yeah, like Q montage, Q montage. Because the thing is, it's not like two or three days. Because you. They have all of this food. That yeah. you, they keep, like, all this canned food. Including Quaker oatmeal. Yeah, and it's like half a super supermarket <laughs> worth of stuff. And it keeps, like, kind of coming back to it. There's fewer cans and fewer cans. It's like, they only have the clothes on their back, you know? <laughs> like, what, at some point you think they would simply overpower him and be like, we're going back to land, you know? And they take our chances with figuring out how to sail the boat. Uh, but no, they're just sort of... They just sort of go along with it, you know, um, which is amazing. And, and the music during this montage is actually really nice and, uh, I don't know, melodic and, you know, again, what what could be sort of a sinister situation is sort of helped along by this sort of like kind of nice, they're on a cruise mm-hmm. music and everything's very happy and positive and they're all just sort of like, yeah, it's just like a vacation or whatever, so... You know, I guess none of them had anything to do back in the real world. It's just like, ah, let's just 
live on the sea for the next four months uh, because this madman <laughs> is searching for a ghost. Um, so yeah, they basically what happens, stormy weather mm-hmm. kind of comes up and uh, yes, they are attacked by a giant claw. Oh, and, uh, you mean the uh, the the one from the fifties? No, not the giant claw, the the condor. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the the claw of Ibera. Oh, now the giant claw may be as big as a battleship, mm-hmm. but Ibera <laughs> is actually sort of a a sentient battleship. I yes. mean, I'll take a second to talk about the design of Ibera. This is a really cool monster. I dig yeah. Ibera a lot. I I think it's. Uh, you know, a more practical design and, and more, uh, you can do more with it than like Ghidorah, you know, yeah. you can actually fight and he's got the one sort of huge claw and then sort of the, the kind of th- the poker, the thinner claw. And, and uh, it, it looks... Eyes that glow and uh, move. Yeah, like the moving, it's all really, it looks, you know, as ridiculous as it is, it looks uh, real. I mm-hmm. mean, like they did a really good job. He's got the sort of the arms, like the the side arms because he's like he's got six legs and the the legs the side arms sort of move in tandem mm-hmm. most likely connected with rods that are out of sight and it's just a it's really well done um but that's ebra and that's the 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 sea monster ebra and uh basically ebra attacks the ship mm-hmm. and um these Four characters are shipwrecked now on what comes to be known as Devil's Island. Nothing, nothing nefarious about that. Nothing no. nefarious. As they are informed later on, it's it's known as Devil's Island. Um, and they are definitely stuck there for the time being. Yes, they uh, climb up a uh, cliff and at the uh, top of the cliff is a machete. And the first thing they can think of is, ooh, cannibals. Right. So uh, instead of turning around and going back into the it's sea. It's a very impressive yeah. climb, yeah. <laughs> by the way. This is like a 200-foot vertical climb. They have no equipment <laughs> of any kind. Again, just to close off their backs. So uh, my hat's off for them for not getting killed right here. Yes, uh, which would have really actually made the plot even more. <laughs> would have been, been a lot more abstract art house uh, deal. Yeah. It's like, oh, we're going to have to eat. <laughs> we're going to have to eat one of our comrades. <laughs> um, they find a bunch of bananas and uh, fruit, oranges, and, and so forth, and they eat all of them. They get back up to strength, and uh, they spot a ship. Um, and they try to get its attention. They try to flag it down, wave it down. And the ship kind of pulls into harbor, and then they kind of look at the harbor, and it looks a little bit nefarious. Uh, there's armed guards mm-hmm. that are dressed in kind of, I don't want to say, you know, SS uniforms. Well, but like James Bond bad guys. Yeah, James <laughs> Bond bad guys. You know, the car, the pseudo-Russian, they, they've got berets. Yeah. I mean, that's when you've got a whole, when you've got more than a platoon with berets, then that's, yeah. that's bad guys. <laughs> and Akira Takarada's uh, character... Who's never formally named in the movie, by the way. He's just sort of a bank robber. Uh, he uses sort of the bad guy spider sense to be like, wait a minute, something's up to no good. Maybe we should stop getting these guys' attention. Mm-hmm. Um, the ship comes up to port, and the bad guys come out. And they have, <clears throat> again, these sort of paramilitary uniforms with uh, replete with goose-stepping boots. <laughs> 
And uh, they are ushering out uh, natives. We find out later on they are from Infant Island of Mothra fame. Yes, uh, which actually might be an improvement from the radioactive wasteland yeah, that is yeah. Infant Island. <laughs> At least there's plants yeah. <laughs> on this on this island. Um, so, yeah, and as they are making their way down this dock, a few of the natives uh, make a break for it. Yes. And it's about, I'm going to say eight all but two of them get machine gunned to death, um, and two of them make it make a break for it and go to a conveniently placed boat. Yes, <laughs> uh, which is just sort of there. I'm not sure why. Kind of a plot hole. But anyways, these two guys are going to make it after all. And uh, uh, and then the, while the guards are shooting at them, uh, the second in command, uh, Akioko. Uh, Hirata, you know, uh, the actor from the first Godzilla film, once again, as we mentioned, whose with name, his iPad. Yeah, whose name is Yam- Yamamoto yes. in this version. But in the Japanese version, it's Captain Yamato. Right. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so that he, he tells them to stop. Uh, and once again, nothing nefarious about uh, having his men with poor accuracy save their ammunition as these guys uh, go off to freedom. When they are then stopped by right. a giant claw. Right. Uh, as the two natives get into the uh, confusingly available boat, <laughs> native boat, that's it's just sort of like a, you know, like a canoe, I guess, or, mm. but you know, um, <clears throat> that's just right there on the beach. They start making a break for it, presumably to paddle back to Infant Island, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the music starts and Ibera comes surfaces and this scene is pretty horrific because it ibra comes in and just takes its sort of uh slimmer uh thin claw and smacks their boat and then like gouges the water where they are and impales both of them and it shows a nice kind of close-up shot of their like double impaled bodies. This yeah. is like Jason Voorhees style, yeah. where it's just like it's and, a it's a native kebab. Yeah, and it, then it takes uh, takes their bodies, and you get another sort of insert shot of him them kind of like putting it near its mouth thing, sure. mung hole. I I don't yeah. know, but it's like it's pretty horrific. Yeah, uh, and pretty and, well done too. Um, very well is, done. You know, uh, good. Uh, Keeping the elements together of, you know, the, because uh, it's clearly these are shot at different times right. and then uh, put together in post. The whole thing is done really smoothly and, and uh, it's over like that. Yes. And Ibera then goes back under the surface and you're just like, what the hell was that? Yeah. And um, because you, okay, again, in, when Ibera's sinking the ship earlier with our main characters on it, you don't see the actual beast, but this yeah. is the first time it's fully revealed mm-hmm. in all of its giant lobster glory. It yes. is a giant lobster, by the way. A I don't giant know if red lobster. Giant red lobster. I'm, I'm sure not sure. If, well with cheddar biscuits. Exactly. Unlimited garlic <laughs> biscuits. Those things will be the death of me, mark my words. Um, <clears throat> they're just so good. Yeah. They keep bringing it up, too. That's the <laughs> thing. Um, anyways. Um, so, Yes. Our, our characters are like, well, obviously have to stay away from that area. By the way, but when these uh, native guys were getting murdered and eaten and devoured by Ibra, uh, Kumi uh, Mizuno was escaping. Uh, mm-hmm. We find uh, she meets up with our main characters and 
uh, reveals her name is Dio and explains that she's from Infant Island. And this whole operation uh, is an operation called the Red Bamboo. Yes, Red Bamboo, which is a lot more expensive than the Green Bamboo, I find. Yes. Oh. These guys are... You find that they are James Bond villains in mm. search of James Bond. Like, it's like... The, this is, you know, there's operations like this all over the world, and they're just waiting for Bond basically to stumble onto them yeah. to fulfill their destiny of being destroyed by Bond. They're and just like, well, we're having a very slow day today. If only somebody would try and come into our big fortress right. with its one open door. If only someone had a special device to open up all the doors and come in here, you know. Yes, and ruin our heavy water production that right. could be used to destroy everything. Every capital in the world. <laughs> right. So they're definitely waiting for Bond to come in and blow them up at some point. But uh, that does not happen. Instead, you get uh, the the four of them decide to uh, investigate the base for some reason. I forget yes. why. It doesn't well, make any they sense. they go into a cave. They go into a cave for a while, but they want to they want to see what's going on there. Yes, yes. But uh, what, what, what's in the cave? Oh, well, while they're in the cave, they're evading uh, the second-in-command eye patches uh, uh, <laughs> onslaught of, you know, he's sending out his guys to sort of just randomly shoot their machine guns, uh, and hopefully they'll, you know... This is one level below, yes. like, stormtroopers. Stormtroopers <laughs> are at least shooting at a target. Yes. These guys are just shooting their guns at nothing, you know? This is just, like, win by attrition, mm. really. I mean, it's just, I don't... Ah. Uh, <laughs> they are literally firing at nothing. Because they haven't spotted, the, the you know, this little group. They're looking for uh, Kumi... Mizuno at this point, they, they haven't realized that she's joined up with them and they send out a search party to find her and they're just, they're just haphazardly firing machine guns <laughs> just in every direction. It's uh, pretty dangerous. Anyways, they're, they're fleeing from this group and our heroes sort of stumble onto this cave and wouldn't you know it, at the bottom of the cave they happen to find, that's right, Godzilla. He's yes. asleep here. We don't know how he made it here after the end of uh, Monster Zero. It doesn't really matter. Well, he had he had to chill. He, he's he's somehow sealed inside this island. Yeah. It's his new man cave. So the five of them decide to go into the Red Bamboo headquarters for reasons that are vague. Mm -hmm. uh, they do so with the assistance of uh, Akira Takarada's skeleton key, which mm -hmm. he made during his months of capture aboard the yacht. Which he uh, just uh, conveniently decided to start working on. This key opens every door in this movie. And thank God <laughs> that they have it. Because the plot would be dead in the water like eight times. If it wasn't for this character who just happens to have this really god-in-the-machine skeleton key. I mean, it literally opens doors that it should have no business opening. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> it's just... it's. Anyway, so they use the skeleton key to get inside the uh, the headquarters of the Red Bamboo, where they find, amongst other things, several smoke bombs, which they steal. Mm -hmm. uh, Dio finds a necklace made out of wire that will come in very useful later on, mm -hmm. which she takes. Uh, and then they go into another room that looks very strange, and there's... 
lots of giant computers and processors and tubing and pipes and things of this nature, and they're trying to figure out what it is. But ah, the bank robber guy sees a safe. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Let's, you know, let's crack this safe. There could be gold. There could be money. There could be weapons. Well, all of which, you know, we need. Now. Well, I mean, the, the weapons definitely. <laughs> yeah, the the, uh, the gold. The gold. Yeah, you know, yeah, first things first. So <laughs> they go over, and when you know it, he cracks the safe. And then they go into it, and all of a sudden, it's this sort of red kind of room, and they look in, and one of the guys is like, get out! It's a nuclear reactor! (laughs) So he knows what nuclear reactors look like, and all of these characters immediately do an about-face and turn around and run out of uh, the the sort of smaller room inside the room they were Mm -hmm. in. Uh, from this safe door that the guy just cracked or whatever, but I think that's awesome that they yeah. like <laughs> they go into this nuclear reactor and you know none of the characters die immediately. They're they're fine. So uh, you know it's just <laughs> like that didn't need to be in there. But I mean they kind of they surmise from the fact that there's a nuclear reactor that they are in fact uh, processing and manufacturing uh, heavy water, uh, no doubt to be used in the making of hydrogen bombs. Uh, for nefarious purposes, and again, this goes to a long way towards backing up the theory that the Red Bamboo guys are James Bond villains in waiting, basically. Yes, it's just uh, like, oh, if only someone would come in here and expose our plans <laughs> so we could tell them everything. Right, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah, you can see sort of the secondary bad guy with the eye patch chomping at the bit several times in this movie, waiting for Bond to come in so he can explain the whole plot. Just like, wait, is that him? Is, <laughs> is that, that him? James Bond? Wait, is wait, that? Wait, wait. Oh. I, I have so much to tell you. <laughs> I I'll have to finish this paperwork, him. I have, I'm just exploding in here. I have so much to tell you about how intricate our plan is. No, it's just these stupid, you know, dance contest kidnappies. Uh, so anyways, yes, they they run into uh, the bad guys and they use the smoke bombs that look um, like bowling ball pins. And uh, a sort of scuffle ensues. They unrealistically escape the base dressed as doctors, or they've got white lab coats, and they're sneaking betwixt two metal doors held uh, horizontally. Uh, Two of them are, and then the other people are sort of kind of hunched down, and they're doing, it's like an old Warner Brothers cartoon, you know, it's a gag where they're sort of all kind of, you know, it looks like they're carrying a metal container, but it's really just their friends in between two doors. Um, and of course the lookout guys see this and they're like, oh yeah, there's nothing strange about that or whatever. They try to get into a, uh, like an outlying container area, uh, with the skeleton key, but it sets off an alarm and excuse me. And so they kind of run off. Rota gets his foot tangled up in a weather balloon, which gets the, the rope gets shot off. So Rota is now floating off and he is just... Floats to Infant Island now. Yes, he's just yes. gone. You don't know if he's dead or whatever, but this character is like, he's just gone now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then one of the other dance contest guys, whose name is not important, <laughs> uh, gets captured and gets thrown in with the other people from Infant Island. Mm-hmm. Now, it should be said at this point that the natives from Infant Island have been taken hostage by the Red Bamboo with the express purpose of making this yellow liquid out of the fruit that grows on Devil's Island that is then shot out of the ship or the boats to... uh, It keeps Ibera away. Yeah. So, yeah. So... 
Definitely not pheromones. So, yeah. And when I first saw this, I thought, like, that that was what the place produced was just... I didn't know... I forgot they produced hard water, that whole nuclear thing. I thought that was the only thing they produced. I'm like, this is a vicious cycle of them just running out of this stuff and producing it again. Like, they need a new infrastructure here. You know, build a a landing strip and fly it out. But anyways, no. they, They are making nuclear weapons. So, yes, but they force... The natives to make this uh, this spray or whatever, mm-hmm. and um, so yeah. Now one of the dance contest guys, he's wearing a sort of gravy colored hooded <laughs> sweatshirt, gets thrown in, and uh, yes, so he's turned into a slave. <laughs> it's pretty awesome, uh, and you know it's, he gets put on the the pushing wheel like Conan the Barbarian yeah. to grind up the, the berries or whatever, which is a fit again for his character because yeah. he's annoying. <laughs> so now it's just down to the characters we actually care about, uh, Deo uh, and then Akira Takarada and then one of the uh, one of the other guys from the yeah. boat. Um, and they're like, you know what? We have this sword. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dio, I'm, I'm going to need to borrow your uh, necklace here because it's made out of wire. And it's incredibly long. It's incredibly long. We're going to wake up Godzilla. <laughs> and this is, like, the whole movie is a build-up to this because after this, the pacing is incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. It's all just, like, it's all build-up to this and then it's just, like, dominoes knocking down because what happens is they're still being pursued by the red bamboo. Mm-hmm. And they set up the, you know, the wire necklace, they unravel it, attach it to the uh, sword that they Mm -hmm. found earlier, and turn it into a lightning rod. Yes. They wait for a storm to come along. Now, in the meantime, Rota has miraculously flown to Infant Island on this weather balloon. Mm -hmm. It's a miracle, really. (laughs) Uh, He lands there just as the natives are trying to wake up Mothra, including the new non-peanut... Uh, fairy twins, so it's different yes. actresses. The Peanuts are no longer involved uh, from here on out. So they've got two different yeah. uh, six-inch twins. Yeah. Uh, They're kind of ugly, too. Uh, I, I just, they just, you know, you set up such a... <laughs> Such a hype with the Peanut Twins, and it's like, I don't know who these guys are. Yeah. It's like, I've never heard of you. You don't, you, were you good. on the Ed Sullivan show? Yeah. You know, they just, uh, they, they just don't do it. Just, it's like fun. the 90s version. Yeah. It's just like, no. Mothra no. is also looking very weird in this one. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't look like the Mothra we know. It looks like a pinata. Yeah. Uh, complete with, uh, like, toothpicks for feet or whatever. Uh, And that's when he's not just a matte painting in the background, just kind of sitting there. Yeah. It's like, you know, we know it's a painting. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, anyways, uh, Rota lands on Infant Island just as they're trying to wake up Mothra, and wouldn't you know it, his brother Yata is there. And uh, they decide, guess what? We're going to go back to Devil's Island. We're going to free all of the people from Infant Island. and uh, Go full Moses and Aaron. On go that full Moses and Aaron. Take down the red bamboo. Let's yes. do it. Um, and, yeah, so they, they get in a boat. They fill it up with the yellow liquid. They're on their way back. This is all <laughs> while the other characters are setting up this lightning rod to wake up Godzilla. Now, just as uh, Rota and Yata are nearly going to break land on Devil's Island. Ibra comes out and is going to, is like two seconds away from destroying them. Mm-hmm. And the there's a lightning storm, a lightning bolt hits, and yes, it does in fact wake up Godzilla. And he is awake. 
This is the Godzilla suit from uh, Monster Zero. Yes. And it's fucked up. It's yep. It's got, it's like, there's burns in it. There's like some patchwork on it. <laughs> there's some other stuff. And it's not looking too good. <laughs> but it's still, it's like, yeah. I like that about it. It's yeah. like rough. And it's at night, too. It's when it's dark. Yeah. And I think this is one of the few times where Godzilla has made his entrance at night, at least. In the color movies. Yeah, in the color yeah. movies. Yeah, and it, it does, he does better, and it's raining. Yeah. And, and the, he just looks better when it's at night and when he's raining. Mm. It, it's more convincing. And uh, so, yes, Godzilla proceeds to, in short order, he fights Ibera. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a pretty awesome fight. At one point, uh, Godzilla actually flips Ibera uh, over and uh, they fight underwater for a while. He smashes his head with a rock. Godzilla yes. smashes Ibra's head with a rock. A conveniently placed A conveniently rock. placed giant boulder <laughs> at the sort of the shallow... Anyways, <laughs> yeah, these boulders are all over the place. Uh, and, yeah, so they're, they're fighting for a while. And it's an awesome fight. And, you know, it's well done. Ibra sort of escapes. And Godzilla kind of goes off into quiet sort of Tibetan monk contemplative mode. Yes. For, uh, the red bamboo continue to pursue um, our main characters. A uh, one of the boulders, uh, which uh, Toho clearly gets from C and B, uh, Creighton Boulder, uh, flies into the red bamboo's base, and uh, immediately it's like, oh, it's Godzilla. No one else could have thrown that boulder. It has to <laughs> yeah. be Godzilla. That you can tell it was Godzilla because of the arc. That's yeah. classic Zilla. Um, <laughs> that's textbook Godzilla throw. <laughs> uh, so yeah. The Red Bamboo uh, scrambles a squadron of jets, they say that, and in the meantime, uh, a day sort of passes. We don't know where the jets are coming from, I yeah. guess maybe from some other island. Relicica. Relicica, <laughs> most likely, the lost civilization of Mu. We don't know yet, okay? Um, so anyways, Godzilla is sort of... It's the next day, and Godzilla's contemplatively sitting around, almost not sleeping, but just sort of like kind of chilling, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Red Bamboo pursues our, our heroes. Dio breaks off from the rest of the group and is getting chased by some of the Stormtrooper guys. And uh, all of a sudden, she runs into Godzilla, who like kind of like tells her to be quiet. He's like, shh. He's like the librarian at the yeah. beginning of <laughs> Ghostbusters, which is sort of crazy. And he's like kind of scratches his nose a little bit. And uh, they kind of lock eyes. And this is another part where – this is a part where you can tell that it's supposed to be King Kong. Yeah. Because Godzilla hasn't even looked at a human before, you know. Yeah. He's just like – Especially sh- not with such envious eyes. Yeah, he's sheer brute force. So this is the first time Godzilla has ever really acknowledged like a human being. Yeah. And, uh, and, he, you know, and you he's know got what? a crush on her yeah. apparently. And, and you know what? King, King, King Kong aside, this is uh, even more believable than 2005's King Kong yeah. romance with the whole skating on the ice. Remember, remember that? Now you turn? watch it. You watch what you say about it's that. Turn. That was turn. Con. You can't skate. Anyways, sorry. Uh, no, we're not letting this go. That was a good movie, that man. Was a terrible movie. That was terrible. What is that? God. Two hours long. All right, for that's King it. Kong that's movie. it. That's it. All right. <laughs> I'm getting out my knife. <laughs> Look, we're going to have an episode about 2005's King Kong, and we'll settle this then, fine, okay? Fine, yeah, no, fine. it is fine. Yes, it is yes. fine. You heard it here, folks. We're doing this. It's we happening. Damn it. Another right. day. All right. <laughs> Another day. Uh, but, right, back to back to Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster. So, uh, yes. <laughs> um, um, right. So, Godzilla then fights a giant condor for no reason. A yes. giant condor just comes in. 
Ed fights Godzilla, and he smacks it around, and this is an awesome monster battle. It's short, it's contained, it's like a minute long. The editing is dynamic, the sound effects are crisp and effective, and it ends, best of all, very rare for a Godzilla monster fight, Godzilla actually kills the other <laughs> yes. opponent at the end by using, what? His fire breath! Yeah. He could never remember this when he's fighting, like, Gidra or any of these yeah. other monsters, but, like, this giant condor kind of comes in for another swoop, and he's just like, oh yeah, I have nuclear breath. <laughs> and he, you know, he... he you know, shoots it, and of course it instantly bursts into flames and then falls in the ocean dead. Yeah. And uh, you're just like, ah, an effective and logical monster battle. That's how long it really would be in real life. So, yes, I love that monster fight. And then, it is immediately, and I do mean immediately, followed by the scrambling and the arrival of the squadron of red bamboo jets. Yes, MiGs. Yeah, MiGs. Because they clearly yeah. get their... Uh... Yeah, get their they've been selling some. The they've Union. been selling. Yeah, they've been selling some of that hard water, or he- <laughs> sorry, heavy water, uh, on the black market because they can afford fully equipped MIGs <laughs> and uh, apparently a band of lunatics to fly them. Because <laughs> I'm going to say more than half of these guys are kamikaze. Didn't hear. <laughs> this is, in my again, you know, okay, in my opinion, this is probably the most exciting and dynamic incursion or assault on Godzilla by a military force Mm -hmm. in the entire series. Why do you say that, Mike? Well, because it's like, it's well done. It's, it's like, it's exciting to watch. They, like, they all fire their missiles at the same time, and it just lights up the entire side of the island, like napalm. Of course, Dio is unaffected. She's, I think they've come and they've got her by now. Like, they, when he was, like, frying the giant condor or whatever. (laughs) But, like, okay, these things are just lunging at him. They're just flying, like, directly into his body, okay? They're, like, trying to kill him at all costs, and there's, like, all these kind of quick edits and tight angles and like the the there's a shot where it one of the jets flies in and Godzilla's tail just comes out of nowhere and just bullseyes it <laughs> implying a sort of lethal agility and intelligence that is yeah. never followed up on and any other Godzilla was like he could sense it was there and just swats it with his tail it's almost like his tail is a separate smarter entity uh in this movie it's, it's really developing a life of its I, own. I, i'm pretty sure in one of the 90s films it escapes me now that he's got to have like another brain in his tail and in his yeah. thigh or something like that uh yeah which uh um i mean there's some good stuff with the military in like tokyo sos mm-hmm. and if you know if you count uh kiru or whatever the mecha godzilla yes, yes. um in Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, and then its sequel. Um, that's some really good action, too. But that's, yeah. like, 30 years yeah. after this. So until then, this is, like, really cool. And uh, It's, like, the standard for aviation yeah. f- attacks against Godzilla. Yeah, yeah, and he wipes them all out. Yeah. <laughs> and he actually catches one of them and, like, throws it into the water, and it blows up. Ah, oh, it's great, okay? <laughs> that's, like, the highlight of the movie for me. All this other stuff is just fluff. Uh, so then... He wipes out the uh, he wipes out all the jets, then immediately goes and wipes out the base, <laughs> and like so it's just like boom, 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 and uh, he's kind of lumbering a little bit, and uh, he's a little bit slower than usual. The base is kind of small, so he's taking his time to really destroy everything yes. thoroughly. Because you know? I mean, it, the base compared to him is like nothing. It's yeah. like he's destroyed like a sandbox, city. yeah, and <laughs> like a McDonald's play place. You know, it's not too big. Uh, so he thoroughly destroys everything, and while he's there, 
he steps on a uh, a command post or whatever where this guy who realizes things are going downhill fast uh, readies a nuclear detonator. <laughs> and uh, he sets it for two hours and then Godzilla promptly steps on this building. <laughs> I forget why, but our main characters happen to be there for this guy to tell them, hey, you've got two hours before this uh, island explodes. <laughs> Again, they've got this is. I mean, it's so perfect for a James Bond movie. Yeah, like, it just again, happened to have Godzilla. Again, you have that James Bond villain thermonuclear like auto destruct <laughs> button. You know, where it's like the whole island goes up, and it, like, why would you ever build that? I don't know. Like, you know, because it's just too evil. <laughs> it's too. It's just too evil. You know. So um, this dying scientist guy's like, in exactly two hours, the island will explode. They're like, two hours, no. So, um, like a couple of morons, uh, Yata and Akira Takarada and Rota all try to reach for this thing. And it's like, dude, you've got two hours. Take your skeleton key, go free like 50 of the natives, Mm -hmm. come back to this spot Get a fulcrum, get a lever, get organized, yeah. okay, and just uncover this, like, little pile of, like, tubes, metal mm-hmm. tubes that's making it so you can't reach this thing to turn off the switch, and just, you know, just plan it out a little bit better, and you can turn off the switch, but no, instead, like, second graders, they just keep on reaching in, they're like, I can't reach it, I guess the island's gonna be vaporized in a thermonuclear explosion. If only I could use the force. Right. So at this point, uh, they somehow they find out that Mothra is coming or something. They're told, like uh, the, the telegram. I'm yeah, sure. <laughs> they're, they're told to make a big net by the peanuts. I'm uh, sorry, by the twin fairies. Mm. Uh, Rota and Yata are told to make a big net. They don't know why, but at this point, the characters I think would start to panic. But anyways, so they're making this big net, and um, somehow they get word that Mothra is coming to the island and is going to like pick them up in the net yes. or whatever. They got a Mothra Graham from Western Union. Yeah, they got a a Mothra Graham from Western Union. So we move into endgame territory here. Ibra comes back um, for a set round two. Mm. Godzilla kicks the shit out of it. (laughs) He rips both of its claws off, Mm -hmm. which is great. If you're not going to kill it, which I would prefer him killing it, but he doesn't, but at least... It's almost worse because he's without those claws, he's probably going to slowly starve to death because he won't be able to feed he's himself. Like, you know, Ibra, I don't have to kill you. I've hurt you. <laughs> well, I wish to go on hurt. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so Ibra's, you know, turns literally turns tail and uh, hightails it out of there. Um, and then, so Godzilla just sort of has Ibra's big claw yeah. and is using it like hedge clippers. Uh, until he, like, forgets about her, gets bored, like, throws it away. Uh, and anyway, so Mothra comes onto the island, and, uh, Godzilla and Mothra sort of look at each other, and they get that old feeling. And, uh... And the Barry White starts playing. Well, yeah, they... They... And Mothra, it should be said, is in full moth form. Yes. Okay, so she can fly. And they just sort of... They kind of remember that they're supposed to hate each other's guts a little bit, and mm-hmm. they, they kind of have this half-hearted fight a little bit. Yeah. Mothra clotheslines Godzilla with one of her wings, sends him down for the count, and it's not, it's, you know, even though we're only three movies removed from Mothra versus Godzilla, it's just like, 
they're both the monsters are sort of out of their prime, but just yeah. barely. You know what I mean? <laughs> kind of like the wrestler with Mickey Rourke. Well, yeah, yeah no, no, but he, he was way past his prime. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, this is like, this is not like when Hogan and Macho Man fought in, you know, like SummerSlam 88 or whatever, or I guess 87. But this is like when they fought for WCW Monday Nitro in like 1995, where it's like, they still, they're not completely dilapidated, but <laughs> something's a little bit wrong. They both seem sort of confused. They're not totally up to par. And they're just kind of going through the motions. So anyways, yeah, this is a very brief fight because the whole time all of this is going on, this counter is like beeping. Because like, you know, at this point in the story, there's less than 10 minutes before this explosion goes off. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's really, you know what? It works. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's it's suspenseful. Like there's there's genuine tension in like the last five minutes, which is weird. <laughs> it should it shouldn't work. It should yeah. be effective, but it is. Uh, there's a bit back. in Monster Zero, but it's yeah. like th- this is like definitely Bond yeah. villain. Yeah, exactly. Because you've got the ticking clock, and it's literally ticking. You know, and it's just like I don't know for whatever reason it works. And uh, so Mothra handedly, you know, knocks out Godzilla, who seems sort of drunk and aloof. And uh, <laughs> I, they didn't pay me enough for this. <laughs> right, exactly. He's like, what am I? Oh my god, this is an embarrassment to be in this movie. Mothra grabs onto this net, and by the way, Mothra's legs look totally fake in yes. this movie. And I, I, I put it together. It, she looks like uh, you remember the old Milton Bradley game Cooties. I. They had the sister game, Ants in the Pants, but then they had the cooties where you would actually build, like, an ant with, like, the fake-looking legs sticking out of the bottom. This is what Mothra looks like in this movie. It looks like a giant cootie. Uh, (laughs) The legs are not moving at all, okay? It looks totally unconvincing. They clearly lost the good Mothra model, or it was damaged from Mothra vs. Godzilla. Yes, so... And they used this one. I guess they made it in, like, a couple weeks or something. (laughs) They didn't know what was going on. Paper mache. Yeah. Anyways, so this Mothra doesn't look nearly as good as, as the one from Mothra vs. Godzilla. But, yeah, uh, Mothra knocks out Godzilla, knocks him down. Godzilla's sort of aloof, doesn't know where he is. Mothra grabs the net with all the infant island people and our characters, uh, our main characters. Um, and, oh, in the meantime, I forgot, subplot. <laughs> uh, the guy with the hoodie... Did the old switcheroo, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, mm-hmm. it convinced the fellow infant islanders to throw out the good batch of Ibra repellent yes. and make a phony batch out of just the peels and the leaves. Mm. So, in the meantime, while all this has happened, all the bad guys have gotten aboard one ship and they were using the phony re- Ibra repellent. Mm. And Ibra knew it. This is before it got its claws ripped off and wiped out, I guess, everyone from the Red Bamboo. Like, we never hear from Red Bamboo again after this movie, so I guess everyone was killed. Um... Which maybe, makes, or maybe they're still to this day just waiting for Bond. Or they're just in hiding. Or they're just waiting for Bond. Um, anyways, so yes, Mothra leaves with all the characters and safely in tow in the net, and they're like... They look out the net and they're like, Godzilla! Like, you know, uh, Akira Takarada's like, well, he never really did anything bad to us. So, I mean, obviously he did. He's Godzilla. He wiped out Tokyo in 1954. But uh, I think that there's a sort of, like, mutating memory of the monster. Like, as his image gets softened in the films, 
the actual events that he's participated in, like, change and morph. And, like, I don't think this Godzilla destroyed Tokyo anymore. Mm -hmm. Or if he did, it seems bizarre that they're, like, they feel bad for him or whatever. Because they're, like, you know, he never did anything to us. So they all start yelling at him, Godzilla, better run! <laughs> you know, and Godzilla hears them. Mm -hmm. And he uh, walks over to the edge of the cliff of the island and jumps mm -hmm. into it as the entire uh, island is, is destroyed in a thermonuclear <laughs> explosion. And Godzilla swims away. And he's fine. And everyone from Red Bamboo is dead. And Ibra is mortally wounded. And I guess, and, you know. Uh, hopefully coming to a uh, red lobster near you. Exactly. I mean, oh, my God. Godzilla's going to find Ibra and, and <laughs> eat great tonight. Yes. And uh, the final shot is uh, Mothra taking everybody back to Infant Island. So, like, all it's all good. Yes. You know, I think, they, as, as we mentioned, the only thing missing was some uh, cheddar garlic biscuits. Indeed. That would have uh, been the uh, piece de resistance. So, a quality film. Yes. I really enjoy the heck out of it. I enjoy it. It's not one of my favorite Godzillas, but out of the one, as I mentioned before, by uh, Mr. Uh, Fukuda, uh, definitely one of his better. Uh, as we get further into the 70s, he gets uh, much crazier and uh, <laughs> yeah. almost like you, you love them, but you just can't watch them too often. <laughs> this, yeah. however, is one you can watch. You can actually show to your friends without them, you know, giving you that why did you bring me over look yes. um so uh, i i first saw this it was on one of the first episodes of a program known as super scary saturday that aired on tbs this was the fall of 1987 we recorded this off of tv and um yeah so i had this on a, a vhs tape with back to the future part one mm -hmm. and watched it many many times and uh, absolutely uh, loved it. So definitely a strong entry in the series. This is, may have been the last one I finally saw. I'm pretty sure I saw Final Wars before this one. Um, and Ironically, the only other appearance of Ebera. Yes, yes, who is, isn't even killed by Godzilla. He yeah. is turned into Lobster Biss by uh, the uh, mutants. The only, the only <laughs> human, basically metahuman on monster, like hand-to-hand -hand fight in the history of the series. We'll get into that when we yes. talk about Final Wars. It is insane, but Ibra, underrated monster. Wish it could have come back for Destroy All Monsters. That was not so. It's not in the cards. But, um, you know... Definitely delicious when you use your radioactive breath, fry them up, and get unlimited uh, garlic biscuits, yes, I would say. Yes, yes. <laughs>